So I would like to thank everybody for joining us at this uh, very interesting panel. Our panel is on managing a global fleet out of Hong Kong and what's next for ship management. Ship management is one of the major activities uh, of Hong Kong uh, as a major global maritime hub. And uh, we have with us a great panel of uh, third party managers and also shipping companies with uh, in-house uh, management capabilities. And uh, it, it's a power house in terms of uh, representation on the panel. I will uh, turn it over to Mario Moretti, the Asia Marine Director for RINA. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for joining us. And Mario, the floor is yours to uh, moderate the panel. Thank you. Thank you, Nicolas. Thank you so much for having me here to moderate uh, this, this session, uh, Managing a Global Fit Out of Hong Kong. Uh, we will be able to touch some of the topics uh, that affected our business in this, in this pandemic. So I'm looking forward to hear opinions and comments from our very estimated panelists. I'm going to deduce them in a strictly alphabetic order by company name. So we'll have uh, Mr. Peter Kremers, uh, Chairman of Anglo Eastern Group and Vice President of BINCO. Thank you, Peter, for being here. Uh, Captain Firoze Mirza, that's Managing Director of Berna Schulte Ship Management. Thank you, Captain. Mr. Angad Banga, Chief Operating Officer of Caravel Group Fleet Management Limited. Captain Sanjeev Verma, Managing Director, Lambridge Ship Management. And finally, Captain Zhou Jianfeng, Managing Director of Wakwong Maritime Transport Holdings. Let me move uh, to uh, the topics of this, of this session. Uh, we will start uh, with uh, sharing a little bit our experience uh, in this uh, terrible time of, of uh, pandemic uh, uh, that is affecting all our lives. If I may, if I may so, as, as a positive note during this terrible period, uh, the, the industry, our industry, our marine industry, has seen an acceleration in the adoption of uh, innovative technology. So I would like to ask to, to Peter, to Mr. Kremers, if you had to tell us uh, which are the solutions that above all have helped you in navigating uh, in the stormy seas of this uh, uh, sanitary emergency, uh, which one would you pick, uh, Peter? The floor is yours. Um, well, the working from from home was a bit of an eye-opener for us. Um, as you know, traditionally, ship managers, uh, they work 24-7. And, uh, and basically, you used to be in the office. Um, so working from home and accessibility to the data and all the problems of cybersecurity surrounding that has been, for me, um, one of the, the biggest eye-openers, actually. Um, now, we were already implementing our new um, um, software systems, whereby um, rather from, from being in an office somewhere and having whatever you do on a server in your office to, to being able to work from wherever you want uh, with data in the cloud accessible from wherever you want. Um, 
uh, extended to the ships. So 25 offices, 700 ships, all connected in the cloud. Um, and, and one of the conclusions was, okay, we should have been progressing faster than, than, than we really were. Uh, and, and if there was anybody uh, doubting the monies that we spent on changing all this, uh, they have to run for cover now, of course, right? Because th that uh, that is what saved us to some extent, and that is definitely what, what will save us the next time that this comes around. So um, that's for me the biggest change. Um, the surprise that you can work from home. Um, the second thing is uh, what I learned from this, or again was reminded, that is how much our ship management is based on, on, on going physically on board. And, uh, and when, when you cannot go physically on board, it, it all falls down actually. So um, um, this again to, to business transformation and the way you work, uh, it, 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 it became very clear again that all we do is, is taking responsibility away from ships. Uh, uh, and, 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 and actually the responsibility should be on the ship. So all these uh, new systems that we have should really be used, not just to bring the ship in the office, but give the people on board all the information to push it to the ship and let them take the decisions. Um, that has also something been something that we have we knew this, but again, not being able on to go on board has again highlighted this, and and the whole thinking has to change into getting information, getting decisions back on board of the ships. That were for me the two major conclusions. Thank you, thank you so much, Peter, for your intel. I share your uh, your points and your your vision. Um, try to understand uh, a bit the impact that COVID-19 and the shipping market is, is not easy. We know that has had a negative, mainly a negative impact, but on the other side, we see some market occasionally with a sort of disruption upside. Let's see the tankers in March and April this year. Uh, in terms of new building, uh, new building orders, uh, this year uh, we are uh, reaching around 50% less than last year. And probably by the end of the year, we will reach the level of 2016 uh, that probably was the lowest uh, in terms of new order in the 30 years. Now, I'm asking to, to Captain Mirza, I know that uh, I'm handling you a sort of crystal ball, but uh, having seen uh, this, uh, these numbers in the last month, uh, what is your views on the new building market in the upcoming years? Uh, which sector you think will be, will be favorable and which one is that will have some issues? Please, uh, Captain Mirza. Yeah, thank you, Maria. Uh, firstly, I, I would like to say that uh, this uh, new building or orders uh, uh, compared to the yard capacity being less is not a problem that has come up uh, as of COVID. It is something that has been there for the past decade. As the new building capacity built out enormously during the shipping super cycle, and then the enormous number of ships which were ordered at that time got delivered between 2008 to 2012. 
and ever since then we have been having this uh, uh, issue however what the covid pandemic has done is that it has uh, exacerbated the problem and it has increased the idle capacity as you mentioned yourself the new new building uh, orders have shrunk so much this year and are uh, uh, at a historic low for the last uh, uh, several decades uh, now uh, what has also uh, happened is that the new building prices themselves have also dropped to the being that the lowest prices in the last 3 years which has not been seen in the last 3 years uh, new building uh, uh, prices uh, what uh, regarding sectors specifically which have been affected obviously there is a cruise ship sector which is mainly uh, concentrated in europe uh, building these large cruise ships which has been the most uh, 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 affected since nobody in their right mind would like to order a, a huge cruise ship right now with uh, so many of them uh, standing idle what do we expect in the coming years now this is a much more difficult question to answer but uh, one thing i can say is that the hesitancy in ordering the new buildings is most likely to continue post covid it is not that the pandemic is over sometime in 21 say and we are all back to normal there were several structural factors which will also come to the fore uh, one thing is of course about the geopolitical tensions and the trade wars and people are concerned if there will be really a demand for all the new tonnage if they are going to order today will uh, where, uh, where will the de demand be there? the second thing is about the environmental uh, issues and especially with the uh, the, the co2 uh, requirements coming in uh, what is at the back of the ship owner's mind again will be that you order a ship now with uh, the fuel type and the pathway to the green future not yet established uh, nobody knows for sure what will be the way that they are going down will that ship become an uneconomic and stuck asset uh, come in the 2030s uh, for people who had ordered in say 2010 that was not a concern because uh, you could finish your economic life of your ship before that happens but it, people ordering in 21 22 onwards definitely this will be Uh, something to uh, for them to keep in the uh, back of their mind the replacement demand i mean it could be argued that as the demand keeps rising and the ships keep getting scrapped will come to the rescue but uh, if you uh, see again the schedule of the past deliveries this replacement demand is likely to start coming in only towards the end of this decade again because of the huge surge of deliveries that we had in 2008 to 12 when they come to the end of their uh, operating life and that is when the, the the replacement demand will come in so that's not likely for the for the uh, for uh, near or medium term even what we are also likely to see is a accelerated uh, consolidation among the yards especially the smaller yards we still have far too many of the smaller yards it has reduced quite a bit since the heydays of the 2010 but uh, there are still far too many and in the future the they may consolidate around maybe 10 or 12 uh, major yard groups uh, worldwide i mean something uh, similar to what's happened say to the large aircraft manufacturing industry i don't believe we are going to come down finally to only one airbus and boeing type but uh, it will consolidate to maybe 10 or 12 uh, groups over there and outside these will be only the specialist and the niche uh, who will be in the niche building specialist vessels
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Mirza, for your uh, for your comment on this on these topics. Now I'm I'm going to Mr. Banga to Angad uh, to you. Uh, Peter just now mentioned the the fact that uh, we have been able to carry out activities remotely, and today actually most of the activities are done remotely. Uh, meetings, uh, conference, even inspection and maintenance on board. The, the question that I would like to, 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 to put to you, and this is a question that also we put ourselves as a classification society, is uh, are these uh, as effective as uh, physical attendance or being present on board? And uh, what is your view for the future? Are we going to go back to the standard routine pre-COVID or are we keeping this new normality after hopefully the COVID will be, will be over? Please, uh, Angad. Sure, um, and, and thanks, it's a, it's a great question. And as you rightly said, it continues from what um, Peter was saying. And I think before I just talk about where we're going, I think it's helpful just to touch upon and lead from a few of the points uh, that, that Peter had mentioned because it helps explain where I think we will be going. Um, I think just prior to the pandemic, given the global nature of most shipping companies, I believe that a lot of us already had extensive operational risk management and BC plan BCP plans in place. As such, when the pandemic hit, we were quickly able to implement some of these systems and plans which were already in place. That said, I genuinely don't believe that any of us could have quite prepared any of our plans for the tremendous amount of pressure which was put on these plans. And I think as we're all working through this now, a lot of the organization are stress testing their business operations as a result of the technology implemented and the procedures before thinking, you know, what next and, and where do we go from here? And so I'd be surprised if a lot of the organizations hadn't already invested in technology to aid operations, you know, migration of servers and software platforms to the cloud, as Peter alluded to. Um, that would allow us to work remotely, but then to address some of the cybersecurity issues, the creation of robust private, virtual private networks, which I think would also allow our staff to access desktops, networks, access a lot of that data that again, um, Peter was referencing and then managing, you know, what work is done in the office, what work is done on the ship, and at least try and keep those workflows um, as, as much as, uh, the same as much as possible. Um, I think by, by doing all of this, what, what organizations have done is we've had to provide greater supportability and resilience by having much of our software run on true multi-region cloud-hosted environments with even greater security elements in place. Without this, I do not believe companies like ours um, and those of my esteemed panelists would be able to facilitate remote working in an environment like we've all uh, managed to go through. I think you, know, you talked upon the question on meetings and I think as part of what I've just talked about is what has then allowed organizations to implement collaborative tools such as Slack or Teams, which allows business units to collaborate effectively in remote working environments. You know, using Zoom video conferencing solutions or WebEx, you know, Zoom like we're using right now has really facilitated the collaboration of in 
internal teams, but I think also actively engaging with clients, participating in seminars. And I believe this is probably the most visible change, which is what everyone is talking about with respect to how organizations are working as a result of the pandemic. That, you know, as I alluded to, this would only be possible, or this is only a byproduct of what I, I talked about before. And I think, you know, using similar tools that I've just discussed, we've now been able to engage with seafarers, create remote learning and training for them during this period in a simulated classroom environment versus hosting these training sessions in training institutes. I don't think we would have, much of us, many of us rather would have really thought about this um, before. Look, I think the world's gonna be a very different place coming out of the virus than the world that went into the crisis. And I think we need to align ourselves for the way the world will be, not how it was. And again, Peter alluded to this, but it's really our processes and the work plans need to be rethought to ensure how we're thinking about this aspect um, more so in a remote working um, environment. Personally, I think because of what we went through, um, we've seen perhaps a secular shift in our behaviors that have been brought forward by at least five years given what society has gone through. Um, you know, while, while countries are around the world are opening up, I think it's tough to see how life will immediately go back to normal. Uh, I think people around the world will rethink their lives as a result of the, the pandemic. Look, it's uh, my perspective, it's not inconceivable to expect that demand for in-person meetings or travel for business meetings will never go back to what it was before the crisis. Um, travel and entertainment for client relationship is expected to decrease, despite the fact that many of our operations and our businesses are very much a people-to-people -people business, which I think requires being together. Um, you know, I think everyone has had their fair share of challenges and experiences using the technologies, and we've become very comfortable to conduct business in a remote way. I think we're seeing transactions being done on Zoom or, or WebEx, which I think previously we only being conducted after an in-person meeting. Now they're being done virtually. Prior to the crisis, very difficult to imagine this would be the case. You talk specifically about audits and physical inspections of ships, that as well. I think for the better part of six to nine months, you know, we've had to do remote virtual audits in discussions with auditors, clients, flag state, authorities, everyone. And now we've seen that this can be done virtually. And so where does, where does this go? Um, and just you know, to end, I think human species are inherently a very social being. I think we like to be with friends, we like to see clients, we like to have banter with colleagues. So I think there will be a continue to be demand for physical offices and business entertainment, but I think the responsibility would lie with organizations to ensure that they can provide safe environments for people to work and provide flexible and alternate arrangements to the extent the business can support, really for the health and well-being of our staff. There's no likely to be, there's no longer likely to be a one-size-fits-all approach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, exhaustive uh, comments on these topics. Thank you so much. Uh, for the next question uh, that uh, will be addressed to Captain Verma, uh, I would like to go to the, to the core of the problem, if I may say so, because in, during this pandemic, uh, I think the human being, in particular seafarers, has been uh, hugely affected. We know that MLC contract length is 11 months. Flags, some flags have already extended to 17 months. 
even with that uh, today, based on the estimation of the International Maritime Organization, we have 400,000 400, seafarers across the globe that are on board uh, in extension of their contractual uh, time. This has a huge impact on the physical health and mental health of our seafarers on board. So Captain Verma, you uh, manage a large fleet and hundreds of seafarers. Can you share with us the challenges that you have faced and the measures that you have put in place to overcome these difficulties in particular from the physical and mental well-being of your seafarers? Thank you, Mario. Um, I think we all must realize that the core of our uh, profession, our industry is the seafarers as rightly pointed out and said by Peter in the very beginning that the ships are to be run by the people on board the ships. And how do we learn to pass that pattern back to the ship? Uh, coming back to the, the core issue over here that our seafarers, our people who run the ship are being uh, prolonged in their stay and they have been asked to extend their contract. MLC, uh, as we all call it, call it up as a fourth pillar of our industry, uh, restricted the number of months maximum allowed to work is as 11 months a few years back. Uh, and then, then after one of the reason was that that uh, shipping our profession was uh, getting, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of stakeholders coming uh, into our profession. Uh, it was it was like 11 months on board was a quite a long period of time for a people to stay on board being physically and mentally fit. Under the current situation, um, 11 months uh, basically is the maximum which is allowed by the, the convention. Uh, however, the certain flag state has gone ahead and they have extended the stay beyond 13 months or 17 months, some of them. But uh, we need to understand that by just allowing by the flag state to go up to 13 months or 17 months, is not going to solve the problem, actually. We need to understand that uh, it is our people who are working on board the vessels uh, we need to keep a human face and empathy towards every each and every seafarer who has been working on our ships. So one of the uh, focus which we had in the quite beginning, uh, as soon as the problem erupted in early this year, uh, way back in March and April, is to start realizing that, like you know, uh, who all are uh, completing their time and start looking for the ports where they can all sign off, even before the contracts or as soon as they finish the contract. Uh, one of the things was that, like, you know, uh, we have started realizing between March and towards the problem started worsening to June and July, that uh, uh, the sooner we start is better for us. Uh, we have to have multiple plans. We have to understand that what all uh, scenarios are being faced by the seafarers on board the vessel. Uh, in today's uh, situation where we are living into the social media work, world and our media is not uh, controlled all the time. Uh, often we get to uh, hear the news or the social media uh, post, which is uh, not true. Our seafarers have access to all those informations. Now we understand the mental strength of a person who's been working on board, his family back home, and his mind has been engaged thinking about the safety of his family. At the same time, he himself has been working in one of the most riskiest area. Uh, and how do you ensure that he's been safely working on board the vessel? So uh, we have to start early, start tackling the problems one by one, right? Like, you know, seafarers talking to their families, making sure that their families are safe, creating a channel of communication between the family, seafarers, office, everyone in the office from senior management to the operational people, 
then making sure that the seafarers are having a free access to talk to their families. In that aspect, uh, we have gone ahead and increased our Wi-Fi speed to an, uh, a much higher bandwidth so that they can physically chat with their family, talk with their families, providing the free calling cards to the family, uh, to the crew members. That helps a lot. At least uh, they can talk to their family anytime they want. Like, you know, there's no uh, restriction for that. When they don't have to think that I'm a, a seaman, I'm a seafarer, I'm earning so less salary, should I spend a couple of hundred thousand, uh, uh, US dollar on calling my family? No, you have to step up and provide all those things to the Disney. And biggest challenge is definitely is the mental health, you know. Uh, mental health is uh, something which we all suffer, like, you know, majority of the people, even on the shore side also, they suffer, but we don't accept that we are suffering. And as a seafarer, uh, this is a challenge, challenging situation because you can imagine a ship where 24 or 25 odd guys living together. Most of them are uh, male, actually, and they all have got a work to do. And on top of that, there's a pressure from the industry to perform. There's a pressure for industry to manage the things safely. And on top of that, there will be some mental health issues will be there. Early on, again, talking to the people on board the vessels, engaging the experts, you know, the psychiatrists, you know, rolling out the questionnaires, you know, letting the people to fill those questionnaires, let those psychiatrists to understand that who are the persons who are currently going through those mental stress, pinpointing them, having one-to-one -one chat with them, it helped a lot actually to us to make sure that those people who are feeling low, they can talk freely to someone and that someone need not to be from our company, you know, and at that relieves their burden onto their shoulder and focus on their work. Again, having said all those things, uh, the biggest thing, which is uh, challenging for all of us to make sure that as a company, we keep the face of a human being uh, at front. We manage them considering that our topmost priority is to get them back home. And at the, at the same time, understanding that our seafarers, those who are working on board are the one who has to go back home, but there are another bunch of seafarers who are at their home and they have to get back to the ship to, in order to earn the money to support their family. That is also equally important to joining both of them together is something like an effort. And that effort requires the entire show team, every department of the show teams, our agencies, manning agencies, ships agencies, and everyone to understand because we cannot simply say that the governments are not doing enough. I can, I can, I can assure that like, you know, even though challenges are lying around in a bits and pieces, but it doesn't mean that the ship managers or the operators can shy away from the responsibility of not doing enough. If there is a will, there is a way. And I, 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 we have realized that uh, by doing so, we could relieve most of our seafarers in time or at least whenever the first opportunity arises. And none of the seafarers in our fleet could go beyond 12 months or 11 months period of their stipulated contract. So as at last, I, I can say that like, you know, as a company, we must, we, we understand this is something not an usual time. And in this unusual time, we all have to step up and take care of our biggest asset, that is our seafarers. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Captain Verma. It was uh, quite inspiring, your, uh, the comments you made on these very, very, very important topics. Uh, remaining on this uh, on these topics uh, in terms of seafarers, uh, I'm, I'm going to to, to Captain Joe. Uh, 
uh, we know that Hong Kong was one of the first uh, maritime, if not the first maritime center to open up for crew changes. Uh, it became clear that uh, unless every country and port do their part, it's easy for one port to be overwhelmed like uh, Hong Kong was. Uh, United Nations, uh, International Maritime Organization, ILO, ITWF, we all agree, they all agree that the problem is serious, if not dramatic. But uh, who and how can we solve it? How to urge the government to implement measures for safe changes? How to facilitate COVID safe transit for seafarers? Uh, Captain Zhou, if you can please share your views and comment on this topic. Uh, uh, thank you, Maria, for your questions. I think, uh, yeah, everybody agree. So at the present, the global shipping industry actually indeed facing great challenges on the crew change issues. So I think that the major problem is due to ongoing travel restrictions and the lack of international flight. Uh, flights is the major issue. Uh, hence a large number of seafarers have to extend their service on board. As a, 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 a fellow panelist has mentioned, this is a, 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 is a very unsafe situation. Uh, extended service on board adversely affects the physiological and the mental well-being of the crew members and uh, even also their respective families. So this uh, could potentially become the source of the stress and the frustrations. In the meantime, shipping is so vital to the maintenance of global supply chain. So current situation is simply unsustainable. So it will affect the safety of, of well-being of the crew and the safe operation of the maritime trade. I think I ever recall uh, IMO issued a, a, a recommended framework. So we all support that recommended framework of protocol for ensuring safe ship crew change and travel during the uh, pandemic. And I will also believe shipping companies are doing their part in accordance with the, these recommendations. However, the current major barriers for crew change are travel restrictions and the lack of commercial flights, which are beyond the control of shipping company. And same is basically is the decisions by the individual government. So key issue here, I believe, is the continued lack of the international recognition for seafarers as the key workers, despite the fact that uh, about 90% of global trade is relying on shipping. And we appreciate maybe each individual government may have their own limitations. But the current issue indeed is increasingly a humanitarian issues for this crew members trapped on board. They need uh, to be originally repatriated to their home countries. So in view of the importance of the international maritime transport to the global economy at this critical time, I think all the governments have the obligations to take collective actions to address these issues. Uh, the most effective way could be setting a set of minimum measures and the standards at IMO level, even UN level, but the need to be compulsory enforcement by all the member states. 
I think basically at least we should cover these following points. First, we need to designate professional seafarers regardless of the nationality when in their jurisdictions, they are the, as the key workers to provide essential service. So all the members still need a grant professional seafarers all necessary and appropriate exemptions from national travel restrictions in order to facilitate their joining or leaving the ship. The other members that need to permit professional seafarers to transit through their territory and embark and disembark the ship in a port for purpose of crew change or repatriations. So the member state also need to permit and facilitate airports and airlines under their jurisdiction to arrange and conduct flights for crew change. Sometimes they need a waiver visa requirement where necessary and accept official seafarers identity documents for travel purpose. That is a, 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 a my comments expect we need a, 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 a compulsory enforcement for this type of uh, measures by each member state. In the meantime, while we look forward to the collective actions from all governments, we also would like to appeal to the general public to support the seafarers and care for their well-beings. Without these uh, heroes at sea, the global community would be in a much tougher situation in a battle against the pandemic. Indeed, uh, expect, expectation, expect expecting our crew, hundreds of thousands of seafarers being forced to work at sea beyond their contract is simply unsustainable. That is my comments to your question. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to you, Captain Zhou. For sure, this topic would need a much more longer time. And uh, we hope that we'll have the chance to discuss further in, uh, in other session. But it's, it's the core of the problem, of course. Uh, we mentioned before that Hong Kong was one of the first uh, uh, port to open for crew changes. Um, let's, let's, let's understand, let's try to, to, to talk a little bit more of Hong Kong as, as an operation center, as a hub. Um, and I, I will ask this, this question to, to Mr. Angadbanga. Um, your company is one of the largest ship management companies in the world. Which were the factors that led you, uh, and uh, in, most important, will, which will be the factors that will lead you to keep your company in Hong Kong? Can you, can you share with us some specific advantages, uh, infrastructure, resources, for instance, in setting a company in Hong Kong? Sure. Um, th thanks, Mario. And perhaps I can give a bit of a, a macro perspective on this um, and then um, go from there. I think the Hong Kong government has begun to actively promote the maritime industry and all connected services, whether that's the development of a world-class international shipping register or advancements in port and logistic services or incentivizing shipping companies through favorable policies and promoting maritime services more generally. I think they've been doing a, a pretty good job. Um, and I think they've been able to do this with a, a lot of confidence because Frankly, we know what we're doing here and have proved this throughout history, developing you know, Hong Kong as a barren rock into Asia's world city through global trade. Um, industry players such as cargo owners, vessel owners, charters, managers, 
have a very symbiotic relationship. And I think addressing the needs of each of them individually, but also collectively as um, an ecosystem is really one of the successes that Hong Kong has had, in my opinion, to build up Hong Kong as a uh, leading maritime cluster. To explain further, I think there are probably five main macro points, um, which I think will probably highlight my perspective a bit more. First, um, I think Hong Kong, as we all know, provides a very favorable business and macro environment, which is crucial for any global business, maritime being a very global business. Hong Kong being one of the world's freest economies provides, in my opinion, a unique environment for businesses to thrive, have unrivaled access to the Chinese market, all while sitting in a global financial hub in the center of Asia. Um, it's very easy and quick to establish new businesses. Um, the ease at which businesses are incorporated and then grown, I think makes Hong Kong a logical choice for investors and entrepreneurs. Last but not least, I think being on the doorstep of China is obviously a very favorable place to continue to be, given the influence that China has both on global maritime, but also the commodities industry. Second, Hong Kong is a global financial hub. Um, it's one of the largest international banking centers. Um, I understand that about 70 of the world's top 100 banks operate in Hong Kong. We have a prudent and robust financial regulatory regime with really deep liquidity of the capital markets across asset classes and currencies. Um, Hong Kong has obviously become one of the largest offshore RMB financing markets, um, which I think is important for, for the industry. The relationship between finance and maritime um, is symbiotic. Finance is the key connection um, across everything we think about. Cargo, trade finance, vessels, think ship finance or ship leasing to support asset ownership capital market for risk management, hedging of exposures, be it freight or commodity. Um, I think in today's competitive trading environment uh, and with how the evolution of trade is changing, access to capital is critical and Hong Kong is a key center providing attractive financing opportunities. I think there are very few markets where access to this type of capital is um, available from lenders who understand both trade but also um, the maritime industry. I think the recent development of the ship finance leasing regime in Hong Kong um, and the connected um, bridges between the Hong Kong and Chinese capital markets over the last few years, I think only enhances Hong Kong's position as a financial center. Third, um, there's a extensive talent pool available. All of us on this panel would say our success is in our people. Um, Hong Kong has a strong supply of, strong labor supply rather, of maritime professionals in the financial, legal, insurance clusters. And I think this talent pool is extremely important for the development of the growth of, of the industry. Um, in my opinion, Hong Kong is one of the few geographies where you can get talent across all of these different segments, which as I alluded to earlier, is important for, important for the establishment of an ecosystem. Moreover, given the number of ship owners, container liner operators, port operators, we have a deep talent pool there. And then I think again, with the, the group of uh, panelists today, um, Hong Kong is one of the largest centers of ship management. And I think most of the largest and experienced managers have their regional or global operations headquartered out of Hong Kong, which also adds to this um, labor supply. I think there's very few leading shipping companies that do not have a strong Hong Kong contingent in ship finance, 
naval architecture, but also in banking, commodity trading, chartering, derivatives, and other professions. Um, fourth, um, Hong Kong is not often thought of being a leader in innovation, um, but I think we would slightly disagree with that premise. Hong Kong consistently ranks pretty high on global innovation rankings, and advantages being cited include you know, strong R&D capabilities, talent, the technological infrastructure, world-class universities, and I think a sound legal system with robust IP protections um, all help support that um, uh, innovation in Hong Kong. We can joke that historically the maritime and commodities industries don't necessarily go um, hand in hand with technology, but I think it's you know only a matter of time as that uh, that starts changing. And I think the next stop for Hong Kong is to focus on cross-border technological innovations in the Greater Bay Area, specifically with, with Shenzhen and Hong Kong. Last but not least, um, I think Hong Kong provides a very sound legal framework and arbitration system for dispute resolution. Um, and I think the, the recent inclusion of Hong Kong as a dispute resolution venue by BIMCO is a testament to that, and I believe will further enhance Hong Kong as a maritime center. So Mario, I think those are probably my five macro points on um, what I'm seeing um, here in Hong Kong at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Angad, for uh, leading the path. But uh, considering, of course, you are all uh, been in Hong Kong for a long time, uh, I will be happy to to also to 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 ask Peter if he has any comment, if he can share his view on this topic as well. Yeah, Angad, you have covered pretty much everything, but just a few uh, things uh, specifically. Um, uh, we all have known, we have seen worldwide uh, the mayhem that was in Hong Kong, uh, which probably gives you the wrong, give people the wrong impression of what is happening, because indeed in, in the midst of all this mayhem, the discussions between the ship management, uh, between the Hong Kong Ship Owners Association and the government were taking place. So uh, as far as that is concerned, business as usual. There is this, as Angad said, there is this fundamental commitment of this government to support shipping, ship management, and everything that is around it. And that hasn't changed. I would rather say that has been much more forceful than ever before. Um, second thing is labor supply. Um, let's not forget we have, we're sitting next to a huge, huge talent pool. Now, whether, whether we have people from Shenzhen working in Hong Kong, or we have companies like us uh, and our colleagues in Hong Kong that are setting up offices across the border. This is, is an enormous facility, uh, which, which uh, we I mean, if, if, if we need to manage hundreds more ships from Hong Kong tomorrow, we can do because we can find the manpower. The immigration uh, policies are still extremely flexible, more, flex, more flexible than anywhere around us. And, and so, as I always said, and that hasn't changed, Hong Kong is a damn easy place to do ship management from. As simple as that. And, and there, is, there is no equivalent. I, 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 I can't see myself tomorrow saying, okay, two, two 300 ships, we move them from Hong Kong to somewhere else. It, 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 it's, there's no reason for it. Um, um, these were just two, uh, two things I want to add. It's, it's a damn convenient place, very centrally located, and that hasn't changed. There's no change to that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. We, we are um, 
Uh, we still have five minutes left, uh, so um, of course uh, there were. Uh, I'm sure that uh, also with the captain meets there were some 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 key points on the immigration policies. That uh, that is another topic that is working very well in Hong Kong. Let me just uh, uh, move to Captain Verma with uh, with asking to be to be quick in the in the reply. Um, basically, we see the technology revolution is happening, is being accelerated by COVID. The question that we ask ourselves, or employers should ask themselves, is which are the skills and roles that we are looking for? Where do we look to? We look them in the market, we look them internally. And considering that I saw a question from Mr. Sam Chambers that is, is, is quite pretty much connected to this one is, uh, are we considering the headcount of employees to be reduced because of digitalization? Uh, you are muted, uh, Captain Verma. All right, thanks, Mario. Uh, um, a quick one, actually, uh, just to answer Sam's uh, reply that I don't see that the headcount will reduce in the near future, okay? Uh, the other thing is that uh, where do we see the SIP management to head with the technology innovations? And I think uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, current pandemic has taught us a very uh, tough lesson. Our industry was very slow in moving towards the IT. Uh, whenever we talk about IT, people talk about autonomous ship because they talk about the end of the road, which is the autonomous ship. But they forget that in that road, actually, there is a multiple stops that we are uh, going to achieving in the near future. So in, in going in forward, like, you know, with the current pandemic situation, uh, a lot have been already spoken by the fellow panelists that uh, we have to look IT and uh, look uh, ease of doing the business. This means that wherever we are, uh, whichever place we are, whether uh, we are into the office or at home or traveling somewhere, as long as we have access to our computers, as long as we have access to our phones, a cloud server, we can work from anywhere. That's what this uh, pandemic has taught us. Uh, going back to the uh, uh, like you know the, the the current situation of remote auditing and management, I would say that like you know technology will play a lot of role uh, in going forward. And at the same time, it would be possible that uh, we may not be having pure technical manager or ship managers or marine managers sitting down in our office. We would be having an IT specialist. We would be having analyst. We would be having the HR specialist. We would be having multiple roles in our office to sit down and help the ship to run their ship. Because one thing we must forget that ships will always be run by the people on board the ship till we get a fully autonomous ship. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Captain Verma. And uh... We, we just just in time, luckily as an Italian, as a moderator, I was afraid that we would have gone out of time, but we didn't, we managed to do it. Apologize if, if the time was a bit short. Thank you so much. I've been very honored to be a moderator with such an esteemed list of panelists. Nicolas, back to you. Well, I'd like to say thank you very much. Indeed, it has been a great panel. And on one of the most important functions that uh, take place in Hong Kong. So thank you very much to all of you. It was a very powerful and very insightful panel. And thank you, Mario, for being uh, the expert moderator. And thank you to everybody. Thanks to all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.